You're listening to a presentation of The Rising. We're always encouraged to know God is changing lives through this ministry. If you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know and send an email to stories at wearetherising.com. Now, prepare your heart and mind to hear a word from God. So I want to ask you a question this morning. I'd like for you to think it through. Who here wants to be sexy? <laughs> okay, that's probably another question you're anticipating hearing in church, but uh, I mean, really, who here wants to be sexy? All right, let me, let, me, let me define the word sexy for you, just so we're all on the same page. Because I, I do understand that the word sexy carries with it a sexual connotation, but it doesn't just mean something sexual. Now, I mean, if you're married, go ahead, do your thing. Be sexy and know it. Come on. But the word sexy is defined as this. Anything that's attractive, appealing, and exciting. Anything that's attractive, appealing, and exciting. And so in light of that definition of sexy, I think we'd all say, yeah, I want to be sexy. Because I want to live a life that's exciting, attractive, and appealing. Not only do I want to live sexy, I want to be sexy. I want to feel sexy. I want to work sexy. I want to drive sexy so that when people see me driving, they say, ooh, you are hot. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about your car now, because you're driving sexy. But, but I think all of us, in light of that definition, attractive, exciting, and appealing, want to be Sexy, because the opposite of that is drab, boring, and undesirable. And nobody here says, I hope those three words describe my life, drab, boring, and undesirable. We all want to be sexy. Now, here's another truth. Everything is spiritual. Right? Everything is spiritual. And when I say that, what I mean is this, that, that you don't have a, a work life and a social life and a family life and a spiritual life, but you have one life and everything in your life is spiritual because you and I, we are spiritual beings. You were created in, in the image of God, therefore you're spiritual. And this is true whether you believe it or not. This isn't a thing where I don't believe in God so I'm not spiritual, no. It, it, it's like if, if you said, I'm not a human, I don't believe that. It, it, it doesn't make it any less true. You're still a human whether you believe it or not. And so in the same way, you are a spiritual being whether you believe that or not because you were created in the image of God. And if you say, well, I just believe in the physical, no, you don't because you believe in love, right? You believe in hope. Where, where does hope come from? It's just a chemical reaction in my brain. No, it's not. Hope is spiritual. You feel shame. You feel regret. These are, these are spiritual things. And so everything is spiritual, and so because of that, what I want to do in this brand new series that we're starting, and Not So Sexy Spirituality, is I want to bring sexy back to spirituality. Come on. I'm praying. I know it's a little dated. I, I, I know the song came out years ago. But I want to bring sexy back to spirituality. But, but, but how many of you know that in order for something to be sexy, you got to do some not so sexy things? In order for something to be sexy, attractive, appealing, and exciting, it takes doing some not-so-sexy things. For instance, I mean, just, just, just think about in a physical manner. For somebody to, to be sexy in a physical manner, and, and, and sexiness is in the eye of the beholder, but, but, but it takes a lot of not-so-sexy hard work at the gym. It, it takes a lot of not-so-sexy uh, meals like eating plain chicken and rice and spinach day after day after day. That's not very sexy, but... In order to be sexy, it takes some not-so-sexy hard work. 
um, just, just think about a job. In order for you to work a sexy job, the job that's attractive and appealing and, and, and exciting for you, the job that you want to make the kind of money you want to make that sexy kind of money, it takes doing some not so sexy hard work. It means you gotta show up early. You gotta go above, above and beyond. You gotta do the things nobody else is willing to do. You gotta put in some hard work in order to achieve that. I mean, even, even what I do in pastoring this church, there's a lot of not so sexy hard work that goes into this. I mean, what you see on Sunday morning is the sexy part. I'm not talking about me, but I'm talking about standing on stage at the Norva with lights and the sound, and this is, this is the sexy part of leading a church. But in order for me to do this, it takes a lot of not so sexy hard work during the week. I gotta research, I gotta read, I gotta study, I gotta pray, I gotta write. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but I have an oral report due every Sunday morning at 10.20 in the morning. I, I, like, this is my life. I, week to week, I have an oral report that's due, and I have to get an A on it. Like, I cannot give you a mediocre sermon. What I give you has to be inspiring, funny, relevant, um, just, just awesome, because if it's not, then what happens is you come and, and you hear it and you say, well, I don't know, it just wasn't that good today. He, he, he doesn't have it like he used to. He wasn't as funny as he was last week. He didn't make me cry and laugh in the same sermon. I didn't get the goosebumps all over my body like I normally do. You know what? I think it might be time to go check out another church where we can go deep into the word of God. Amen. Right? So you start saying stuff like that. I can't, I can't pull an all-nighter the night before. I can't just pull something out. So I got to give you an A sermon every single time. Do you understand the pressure that I'm under? I mean, I don't think you get it. And, and, and preaching is just part of what I do. That, that's the sexy part. That's the fun part. See, I do a lot of not-so-sexy stuff during the week, too. Like, contrary to popular belief, I don't work just one hour a week. But I have to lead our staff. I instill vision in our volunteers. I have to know where we're headed in the future as a church. My, my week is filled with things like looking at spreadsheets and systems and processes. A lot of not-so-sexy work in order to, to help us be effective as a church. And I don't say that stuff so you feel sorry for me because I know you gotta do a lot of not so sexy stuff in your job as well. I just want you to know what I face in my job. That's all, so you can relate with me. So you can appreciate me a little more. That's all, that's all, no. But, but in order for something to be sexy, it takes a lot of not so sexy, not so sexy hard work. And I think one of the best examples of this is actually seen in Jesus. I don't know if you ever thought of it like this, but Jesus was actually the sexiest man to ever live. Not, again, not in a sexual way, stop thinking like that, but, but, but in, in that Jesus was the most attractive, exciting, and appealing person to ever live. But in order for him to be that way, it meant he had to do a lot of not so sexy hard work. Um, see, Jesus was the most attractive person to ever live. And, and I don't mean physically, and I, I say that for the Bible scholar who's going to send me an email this week and say, actually in Isaiah it says that there was nothing uh, about Jesus that was appealing to, I, I know what Isaiah says. What I mean when I say Jesus was attractive is that people were attracted to him. People wanted to be around him. There was something about him that drawed, drew, drew people to him. Jesus was exciting. If you were to ask one of his disciples, hey, what, what are y'all going to do today? They'd be like, we have no idea. All we know is one day we fed 5,000 people, another day we saw Jesus heal somebody, another day Peter walked on water. We have no idea what's going to happen. See, for following Jesus, it was an adventure. It was exciting. And that's why when people say, you know, I, I hate church because it's boring, 
Jesus was the furthest he could be from boring. And so because of that, church shouldn't be boring. When we talk about him, it shouldn't be boring. You and I, who represent him, we shouldn't be boring. I, I, I hear people say this sometimes. They say, I'm bored. You know who gets bored? Boring people. So if you ever get bored, just look in the mirror and say, I am the problem. <laughs> Only boring people get bored. But Jesus was exciting. It was an adventure to follow him. And more than that, Jesus was appealing. Jesus brought a message where he said, I bring, I bring rest to the weary. I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. See, Jesus lived the sexiest life possible because he was attractive, appealing, and exciting. People wanted to be around him. And you and I, if you follow Jesus, we should live sexy as well. We should live in such a way where people see what we have and they say, I want what you got. Jesus even taught this in Matthew chapter five. He said this, that a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl and said they put it on a stand so it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, he said, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. If you are a follower of Jesus, you should be living the sexiest life ever because people should be seeing you, the, the way that you live, how you interact with others, and they should say, man, that is so attractive, exciting, and appealing, and I want that for me. So, I've come to bring sexy back to spirituality. But in order for us to have a sexy spirituality, it means we gotta do some not so sexy spiritual disciplines. There it is right there. I mean, how unsexy is that word, discipline, right? If I, if I named this series Spiritual Disciplines, nobody would come. You'd be like, I think I'll skip out on that one. So I had to give it a title where you'd be like, wow, what is that? Now you know what it is. But in order for us to live a sexy spirituality, we got to practice some not-so-sexy spiritual disciplines. And each week, I'm going to take you through a discipline that if you live this out, if you embrace it, if it's a part of your life, it will lead you to live the best life possible. And so today, what I want to talk about is prayer. And my title for this sermon, if you have a moment, if you would, just take, a, take time to write it down, is this. Pray like you mean it. Pray like you mean it. Pray like you mean it. I want to talk to you about prayer today because I believe if we embrace prayer, if we pray like we mean it, then it will lead us to living the best life possible. Once you wrote my title down, if you would, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 11, verse 1. It's Luke chapter 11, verse 1. And if you're following along in the Bible app, um, it's already there for you. But Luke chapter 11, verse 1, and we'll have the words from the screen as well. Here's what's recorded for us in Luke chapter 11 when it comes to prayer. It says, once Jesus was in a certain place praying. Now, take, take a moment real quick just to think through this. It says that once Jesus was in a certain place praying, uh, not just any place, it doesn't say that Jesus was driving in his car. It doesn't say that he was grocery shopping. It doesn't say that he was in the shower. It doesn't say that he was just out and about. But it says that Jesus was in a certain place praying. And I say that because oftentimes when we talk about prayer, people will say, well, I pray all the time. I pray on the go. I pray everywhere I go. But here's what we see from the model of Jesus. Jesus was in a certain place that he got alone from the distractions he got alone in silence and solitude so that he could communicate with his heavenly father with nothing else going on. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with praying in the car as long as you keep your eyes open. 
There's nothing wrong with praying in the, in the shower, praying in the bathroom. For some of you, that's the only place of silence and solitude you get. Unless you got kids, then it's not, because they always want something. They, anyway, so, but, but, but what we see here is that Jesus got in a certain place to pray. And I think it's fine if you pray on the go. I think it's fine if you toss a prayer up to heaven uh, at work or, or, or wherever it is. But, but I think there's something to learning from the model that Jesus set for us. And it's that he was in a certain place praying. And I know, I know it's hard for us to do this. I know it's hard for us to get alone with God, distraction-free, to simply sit in the silence and, and pour our soul out to God because we're busy, because we got a, a lot going on, because we got demands on our time. But, but I would argue that Jesus was probably busier than you were. Jesus probably, being the son of God and all, probably had a lot more demands on his time than you and I do. And yet Jesus made the time. He didn't find the time. You try and find the time, it'll, it'll be lost. You, you can't find it. But he made the time, he took the time to get in a certain place to commune with his heavenly father. So, so once Jesus was in a certain place praying, and as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said, well, this is how you should pray. Now, real quick, I just want to point this out, that when one of Jesus' disciples comes to him and says, can you teach us how to pray, Jesus doesn't say, teach you to pray. I don't need to teach you how to pray. I mean, prayer is just talking to God. Prayer is just saying what's ever on your mind. Prayer, prayer is just whatever you want to say. Jesus doesn't say that. Now, Prayer is talking with God. Prayer is coming to God and, and giving him our concerns and our questions. Prayer is voicing our doubts to God. Prayer is giving praise to God. Prayer is uh, requesting from God. Prayer is simply talking with God, but that's not all it is. And when Jesus is asked about prayer, he doesn't say, don't worry about it, just say whatever you wanna say. He said, okay, well, I'll teach you how to pray. Here's how you pray. And he said this, when you pray, say this. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and don't let us yield to temptation. That's it. He said, when you pray, say this. Ma Matthew records it this way in his gospel. He says, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. So when Jesus' disciples come to him and they say, hey, can you teach us to pray? He said, okay, sure, here's how you pray. And, and he taught them this, prayer. Now, in the Catholic Church, this is known as the Our Father. And if you have uh, background or experience in the Catholic Church, then you've prayed this prayer before, sometimes over and over and over again. But oftentimes, when we pray a prayer like this, in a church setting, it, it comes out as rote words. Uh, it's some, simply something that we recite, and we often lose the meaning of what Jesus is saying here. So when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, and when he's teaching us to pray, he's, he's not simply saying mindlessly repeat these words, but, but instead I want you to, to think through how you're praying, and here's, here's the points that you should pray through. And he gives us five points here. The first point is this. He says, when you pray, say, God in heaven, may your name be kept holy. And so what he's saying here is this. When you pray, what I want you to do is be reminded that God is in heaven, 
that God is above, God is bigger, God is more than whatever it is you're praying for, whatever it is you're needing right now. God is bigger. And so whatever mountain you're facing to God, it's a molehill. Whatever it is that's worrying you doesn't worry God because God, you're in heaven. God, you got this. God, I know down here from my perspective, this seems intimidating, this seems scary, this seems like I can't handle it, but God, you are bigger than what's in front of me. Jesus said, when you pray, pray our God in heaven. So there's nothing too small or nothing too big that you can't pray for. I don't know if God can handle that, God in heaven. He says, remember that. God is bigger than anything you could ever imagine. And then he says, may your name be kept holy. And when we pray this, what we're saying is, God, you're holy, and so let me live in such a way where I keep your name holy. Because I'm your representative. When people see me, God, give me the strength to live in such a way that people see me and, and they see you. And, and, and so whatever it is in my life that isn't right, help me get rid of it, because I wanna keep your name holy as your representative. Jesus said, when you pray, say, our God, and fa uh, God in heaven, May your name be kept holy. The second point is, is this. He says, may this world look more like heaven. Let, let, let heaven, let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth just as, it, just as it is in heaven. And so may this world look more like heaven. And so when we pray that, what we're praying is, God, give me the courage, give me the boldness to live the life of heaven here and now. Because I want this world to look more like heaven. And so God, give me the vision to see what heaven will be like one day and allow me to live that here and now. Because the Christian life is not about accepting Jesus and waiting till you die to fly off to some place in the sky. The Christian life is about living the life of heaven here and now, preparing for where you're headed. And so Jesus said, when you pray, pray that this world would look more like heaven. The way that that happens is by us doing some not so sexy work to live the life of heaven here and now. The third point he gives us is this. He says, give us the essentials we need. God, would you give us the essentials we need? Give, give me today my daily bread. And so yes, God is big, God is in heaven, God is amazing, God is massive. But God also cares about the details of your life. God cares about the small things, even where your next meal is going to come from. And so God, I pray that you would provide for my needs, but I realize that I cannot simply sit back and say a prayer and have magic happen from the sky. So I pray that you would give me the endurance and the strength to work so that I can provide, so that I can have what I need. And, 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 give me today my daily bread, but, 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 life isn't just about me. So as I look around and I see others who don't have the essentials they need, let me live with open hands and exercise generosity so that others can have bread. Because if I have more bread than I need, help me help other people. This is what Jesus is teaching us to pray. He goes on with this fourth point. He says, forgive us as we forgive others. Jesus, can you teach us to pray? Sure, here, when you pray, say this, God, would you forgive me just like I forgive other people? Um, no. <laughs> Jesus, I don't wanna pray that. This is what he teaches us to pray. God, would you forgive me in the same way I forgive other people? 
would you forgive me just like I forgive others? Nobody wants to pray that. Because in order for us to pray that, it means we gotta do some not so sexy work. It means that we gotta realize, oh, wait, 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 I've been given grace. I've, I've had forgiveness lavished on me, something I didn't deserve. God poured out his grace on me, and because I'm a recipient of his grace, I need to now forgive others just like that. Because I didn't deserve it, neither do they, but God, let me forgive other people because I've been forgiven. See, it changes everything. And, and in order for us to forgive this way, it takes some not-so-sexy work. It takes hard work. Jesus, would you forgive me just like I forgive other people? Now, the great thing is that the grace of God, the forgiveness of God is not contingent on whether or not you forgive other people. But Jesus does go on to explain that if you don't forgive others, you won't be forgiven. Well, what does that mean? What he's saying is that, listen, God has already forgiven you. You've already been forgiven. But when you don't give forgiveness, it's hard for you to receive forgiveness. Uh, because it, it, it's just like a greedy person. When a greedy person holds on to what they have and they never give, then uh, it, it's, it's hard for them to receive more because they're living with clenched fists. In the same way, when you, when you live hoarding God's forgiveness and you never give it to others, it's like, it's like you don't even understand what you have. It's like you don't even understand how you've wronged and hurt God and, and you don't even understand how great God's forgiveness is because when you begin to forgive other people and pour out grace to other people who hurt you and wrong you and you have to work through that healing and you have to work through the, 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 the harm that they caused you, it helps you better understand what God did for you. And so Jesus said, when you pray, pray, God, would you forgive us as we forgive others? And then the final point he gives is this, help us live for you. Help us live for you. Uh, deliver us from temptation. Lead us, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so God, help me do the hard work of setting up boundaries, of, of getting some accountability in my life, of developing the, the, the self-discipline to say no to some things. Help me do this. And so these are the points that Jesus gives us in prayer. Uh, it's, God, you're in heaven and you're holy. May this world look more like heaven. Give us the essentials we need. Forgive us as we forgive others and help us live for you. And this, this prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray isn't very sexy. When, when we talk about prayer, th th there was this guy in our church, he, he didn't come here anymore because we're not spiritual form, but he, um, he said, we need to pray more. We need to pray more. Like our church, we don't pray enough. And what he's talking about is we should have prayer meetings where we, where we all gather together in a room and we hold hands and we, and we shout and, and things like that. That's sexy prayer, right? That's like, oh, that's led by the spirit prayer. Um, but the prayer Jesus taught us isn't very sexy at all. In a certain place, when you get alone with God, here's what I want you to pray. And the prayer that Jesus teaches us isn't a prayer about God doing for us, it's more a prayer about what we do with our own lives, right? Hey, I want you to remember God is big, so don't worry. 
because God's got it. Hey, I want you to remember that God's name should be kept holy, so look at your life and live in such a way where his name is kept holy, right? This is work that we do. It's not very sexy. It's hard work. Hey, I want you to remember that this world should look more like heaven. The only way this world is going to look more like heaven is not Jesus coming back and making this world look more like heaven, but you living the life of heaven here and now. Oh, so that means I gotta love people? Yeah. Oh, gotcha, so that means I need to be more generous? Yeah, exactly. Hey, when you pray, pray that God would meet your needs, but here's what you need to understand, that you gotta do some work to have your needs met. And beyond that, look around and see who doesn't have their needs met, and because you have your needs met and you actually have extra, give to help them. It's hard work. It's not very sexy, ugh, it's hard. Hey, um, I, I love it that you've accepted my grace and my forgiveness and all, that's, that's great and amazing. Um, but what about your cousin over here that you've written off from your life? Um, aren't you grateful I didn't write you off? <laughs> How about, how about your friend two years ago who wronged you, who talked bad about you, and, and every chance you get, you say something bad about them? How about, how about in the same way I forgave you, you forgive them? Man, I don't know about that. Can, can we just gather together in a room and hold hands and, and shout to the Lord all the earth, let him, right? Can we, can we just do that? Can we do that, God? Um, hey, um, I know you keep praying that I would um, take away your addiction to pornography, but um, how about you just set up some boundaries and um, confess what you're doing and get some accountability and that's how you overcome it. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Like this is hard work. I don't, I don't, know, if, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I wanna pray like that. But Jesus' disciples came to him and said, hey, can you just teach us how to pray? And Jesus said, okay, here you go. And the prayer he teaches us is a prayer that's more about us and how we live than it is about what God is going to do for us. And so um, he teaches this, and then he goes on to explain a little more on prayer. Luke chapter 11, verse five says, then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread, and you say to him, hey, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. I mean, the door is locked for the night. My family and I are still in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, even though your friend won't help you out because he's your friend, if you keep knocking long enough, if you get annoying enough, if you persist long enough, He'll get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And so I tell you, keep asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you'll find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. And he says, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Here's how Matthew ends this teaching in his, in his recording of it. He says, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? 
And so it's like Jesus, when he teaches on prayer, he says, hey, do you want to know how to imagine God? Like, do you want a right image of God? Do you, do, do you want to know, know how to picture God? Here it is. Get rid of the picture of the police officer in the sky waiting to, to, to bust you. Like, when you think of God, like, get rid of the, the, this image of some guy with a long beard sitting on a throne in the clouds. For, forget the whole, this whole thing of some cosmological being swirling out in the universe. No, no, no. If you want to picture God, here's what Jesus says. See him as your loving heavenly father who longs to give you good gifts. So if you want to know what God is like, if you want to know how you should interact with God, Jesus said he's your loving heavenly father who longs to give you good gifts. And he said, when you ask him, he'll give it to you. When you seek, you'll receive. And when you knock, the door will be open for you. He said, when you pray, the answer is always yes. He didn't say, when you ask, you might receive. When you seek, maybe you'll find. When you knock, the door could be open to you. But he says, yes, yes, yes. When you pursue God with that persistence, the answer is always yes. And maybe you hear that and you say, that's where you got it wrong, preacher. I got you. That's where the Bible and life don't line up. Because I prayed and they still died. I prayed and I still don't have a job. I prayed and I still suffer from depression. I prayed and I'm still living paycheck to paycheck. So where was my yes in that? Because I prayed, God said no. Answer that one, preacher boy. Luke 11, 1, once Jesus was in a certain place praying, as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. Verse 9, and so I tell you, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And, everyone, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. When we pray, like Jesus taught us to pray, the answer is always yes. When we pray and we say, God, let me not worry about what's facing me because you're in heaven, God says, yes, I'm there. I'm bigger than anything you could imagine, yes. God, let me live in such a way where I keep your name holy. Yes, I will give you the power to do that. God, let me live the life of heaven here and now. Give me the boldness and the courage to live out heaven here and now. The answer is yes, I will do that for you. God, would you provide my needs as I work for them? And, and God, let me be generous to help others. Yes, I will enable you to do that. God, would, would you uh, forgive 
forgive me in the same way I forgive others? Would you give me the strength, God, to forgive other people like you've forgiven me? Yes, I will give you the strength to do that. God, would you give me the, the self-discipline that I need, the self-control to set up boundaries so that I don't fall into temptation any longer? The answer is yes. When we pray like Jesus taught us to pray, those five points of prayer, the answer is yes, 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 yes. Every time. Now, when you throw in other stuff, I don't know. Because Jesus didn't teach us to pray like for all those other things. But what he did teach us to pray for, he said, I'll say yes to it every time. And it, it might be that we, we pray for something beyond what Jesus taught us to pray for, and God does say no. Or, or maybe God says later, or not right now. Um, sometimes when we pray for other things, and it's okay to pray for other things, it's fine to pray for other things, but, but just know that Jesus didn't guarantee he'd say yes to those things. He did say, if you pray like I teach you, though, the answer is yes every time. But there are times where we, we pray and, and, and the cancer doesn't go away. But Jesus never guaranteed that. There's times where we pray, God, would you change the hearts and minds of my kids? And, and they go off the deep end. And the answer isn't always yes in that. There's times where we pray and we wonder, God, I've been praying, I've been doing things right, and I'm, I'm still single, but what I want most in life is to be with someone or what I want most in life, and we've been trying for years, is to have kids, and we still haven't had kids. God, how, how come you're saying no to this? And, and listen, I, I don't know. I, I don't know why God says no to some things. I don't know why God says not right now to some things. Maybe, maybe it's that we're praying for deliverance from something, but God wants to deliver us in that thing, and so he's saying, I know you're praying for me to take you out of it, but I need to keep you in it because I still need to teach you something. God, would you deliver me from this storm? And God's saying, no, I need to take you through this storm to teach you something. But I don't know. I don't know. I do know, though, that when we pray like Jesus taught us to pray, the answer is always yes. But for everything else, I don't know. But here's what I do know, even when I don't know from what Jesus said. Even when I don't know why God said no, even when I don't understand why God is doing something a certain way or why something is playing out the way that it's playing out, here's what I do know, that God is good. That's my point. Okay, I need, I need to, maybe I'm not as spiritual, I need to maybe come back and, here's what I do know when I don't know, is that God is good. It's, it's, that, it's that God is, my, maybe I need to get louder, that's what it was. It's that God is my heavenly father who longs to give me good. And even though he doesn't do it like I think he should do it, maybe he knows more than me. Maybe he knows better than me. And so God, I don't understand, I don't know why, I really wish it would be different, but I'm gonna trust you as my heavenly father who wants to do good in my life that you are doing what is best. I might not get it, I might not understand it, I might not like it, but I do know that you're my heavenly father. 
who loves me and cares for me. I want to show you just how the power of prayer manifests itself in our life. And I want to show you just how good God is. This is, this is a passage that uh, has confused me for years, uh, and, and it still does, and there's some things I don't know about it, but, but, but there is something I do know that I see in it. It's found in 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 1. 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 1. Now, this is about King Hezekiah. And Hezekiah was about 39 years old at the time. He was the king of Judah, and he's, he's called a righteous king. He's, he's a good king. He follows God his whole life. Uh, but God has made a decision about his life, and he sends the prophet Isaiah to tell him. Second uh, Kings chapter 20, verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah became ill. It was at the point of death. Sometimes, sometimes people pray and they wonder, God, why is this happening to me? What did I do to deserve this? Sometimes it's nothing. You didn't do anything to deserve this. Sometimes people say, I, I did good, I did all the right things, but this still happened. Listen, listen. It's not always God that does it to you. Sometimes God allows things to happen to you. Sometimes it's just the, the natural cause of living in a broken, sinful, fallen world. But here we have Hezekiah, this righteous man who falls ill and is at the point of death. And it says the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you are going to die. Okay. Thanks, Isaiah. Good to see you too. This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you are going to die. You will not recover. Just in case you were wondering if there was any hope, there is none. Have a nice day. This is the message Isaiah brings to Hezekiah. God has decided you are going to die. There's no recovery. Can you validate my parking now? Right? Like, like okay. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, Lord, how I have walked with you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Hezekiah prays one prayer. It's a sentence. And he doesn't even say, God, would you heal me? He just says, God, would you remember me? Would you remember my faithfulness to you. Verse four, before Isaiah had left the middle court, before Isaiah left the middle court, Isaiah comes, Hezekiah, you're gonna die, there's no recovery, see you later. And he walks out. Before Isaiah has exited the palace, before he left the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him, go back, and tell Hezekiah, the ruler of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David says. I've heard your prayer and I've seen your tears and I will heal you. On the third day from now, you will go up to the temple of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you from this city, in the city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend the city and for my sake, for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. Did you see what happened here? Isaiah went to Hezekiah and he said, you are going to die and there is no hope. God has made up his mind. Hezekiah prays a one sentence prayer. God hears his prayer and says, all right, change my mind. Like, I don't even know if God can change his mind, but he changes his mind here. 
He said, this is going to happen, but you know what? I heard your prayer, and there's something in your prayer that's, that's caused me to rethink this. There's something in your prayer that's, that's activated my power, and you know what? Because of your prayer, I'll heal you, and I'll add 15 years to your life. See, I don't know why God answered Hezekiah's prayer like he did, and he didn't answer yours like you want him to. I don't know. But here's what I do know from this passage. That God is our loving Heavenly Father who longs to give good gifts to those who ask. Here's what I do know from this passage. Even when prayer is a mystery to me at times, what I do know is that God hears our prayers. What I do know is that when you pray, your prayer doesn't echo off the walls or bounce off the ceilings, but instead your prayer reverberates through the hallways of heaven and makes its way to the heart of God. And even though God may not act like you want him to act, God hears your prayers. You are not alone. God is not silent in hearing your prayers, but he knows what's on your heart. And so when we pray, we just got to pray like we mean it. We just gotta pray like we mean it. We just gotta pray like we mean it. We can't just toss up a prayer like hopefully somebody hears this. No, we pray like we mean it because we know that God hears our prayers. And here's why it matters. Here's why it matters. Your prayer has the power to shift your future. When you pray, you just gotta remember who it is you're speaking to. You are speaking to the God of the universe who formed all things at the word of his mouth. You're speaking to the God of the universe who painted the moon and the stars and the sun with his thoughts. You're speaking to the God of the universe who says to the sea, you will stop here and come no further. When you pray, you're praying to your heavenly father who knows where light resides and he calls forth the darkness. You are speaking to God almighty who has the power to act in your situation. And so your prayer has the power to change your future. Your prayers have the power to change your reality here and now. Your prayers, good God, I wish somebody would get excited. Your prayers have the power to change what's, fate, what's in front of you. But we got to pray like we mean it. We got to pray like we mean it. That was it, Dave. That, that, was, that, was, it. It was, that was the lack of response there. We, we forgot who we're praying to. That was it. We, see, we think when we pray, we're praying to the clouds. Or, or to the, when we sing, we're singing to the screen. Almighty screen, change me. No, 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 no. When you sing, when you pray, listen, listen, listen. And that's why prayer is not some transitional piece in a service. That's why prayer is not just something where we say, okay, I'll pray for you and don't do it. We got to pray like we mean it. Because you have the God of the universe at your disposal, who's sitting on the edge of his seat saying, what you got for me? I wanna hear it. I wanna know, because I got the power to act. But I won't act, unless you ask. I wonder, what do you need to do when it comes to your prayer life? To change it up a bit. So that it's not just some boring motion that you go through, but it's something where you get alone with the God of the universe. Y you have an audience with one greater than the president, 
You have an audience with one greater than the Pope. You have an audience with your Heavenly Father who has the power to change your life forever. What do you need to do to get in front of God? To get in front of his presence and begin to pray bigger prayers than what you're praying now. Begin to pray bolder prayers than what you're praying now. What needs to change in your perspective so that you take everything to God in prayer and you begin to see your current reality alter in a way like you never imagined before. You know, throughout this series, I want to put into practice what I preach about. And so as we were talking about prayer planning for today, um, we thought, how can we equip people to begin praying like never before? How can we become a church that embraces prayer and the power of prayer so that we can see the works of God take place in our midst like we've never seen before? And we wanna give you an opportunity this week to pray like never before. And so here's, here's what we're going to do. Starting tonight at midnight, we're going to have a 24-hour ceaseless prayer time. We have broken up the clock into 30-minute segments um, where you can take a 30-minute segment and pray for those 30 minutes. And what we want to do starting tonight at midnight is have at least 48 people, because there's 24 hours a day divided by two 30-minute segments, 48. Not only am I a pastor, I'm a mathematician as well. But there's th 48 slots to sign up for. And I wanna invite you to sign up for one of those slots today. It's gonna start tonight, it's gonna go till midnight tomorrow. But we wanna pray for 24 hours, broken up amongst 48 people, uh, taking time to get alone and be with God. And so, what I'd love to invite you to do is, at the end of the experience, stop by the orange tables where we have a form there. We'll ask you to sign up to take a slot. And the real spiritual people are gonna take three in the morning. 3.30, come on. One person, you're with us. Everybody else is like, I don't know, y'all pray, have fun. Um, but we're just asking you to pray for one 30-minute slot, stop by the orange table, sign up, and uh, we're gonna pray for 24 hours starting this week off. And that's a great way to start off your Monday. Yeah. We'll be, we'll be sending you, when you sign up, we'll be sending you a list of things that you can pray for. Because if you're like, well, I don't know what I should pray for, we'll send you something so you can know. Um, but we want to help you practice what you just heard. So make sure at the end of the worship experience, stop by the orange tables. We'll have some sign-ups there for you to take a slot. Uh, if for some reason multiple slots, or a slot is taken by multiple people, we'll ask you if you can change and be flexible on that but we'll let you know again, it starts tonight at midnight. Um, and also we're gonna take time now to remember the sacrifice Jesus made for us on the cross. Members from our VIP team are gonna come down and they're gonna pass out trays and in those trays are stacks of cups and the bottom cup has a piece of bread that reminds us of Jesus' body that was broken for us. The top cup has some juice that reminds us of his blood that was shed so we could be forgiven. 
And as you take communion, I wanna invite you to, to just pray and ask God, in light of what I heard today, what do I need to do differently? How do I need to interact with you differently? Maybe for some of you, you keep hearing me say that God is our Heavenly Father, and that's tough for you. Because when you think of a father, you think of somebody who abandoned you. You think of somebody who had their own interests in mind and not your own, and, and, not, and not, who had their own interests in mind and not yours. Maybe during communion, you just pray and you say, God, would you help me to see you as my loving Heavenly Father? Shift that perspective in me so I can pray to you in a more powerful way. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy. Jesus, thank you that when we pray, like you taught us to pray, the answer is always yes. But for all of our other prayers, God, would you help us understand that even though things may not work out the way we long for and desire, ultimately you're good and you want what's best for us. God, I pray that we would live out a sexy spirituality, one that's attractive, appealing, and exciting. But God, give us the strength and the discipline to do some of the not-so-sexy things to make that happen. God, I thank you for what you're gonna do in our church this week as we come to you in prayer. We know that our prayers are powerful and effective. We know that you hear our prayers and we know that as we come to you for the next 24 hours, calling out to you, you will hear us and you will act on our behalf. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We pray you were inspired and encouraged by today's message. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, sign up to serve on a team, join a group, or just find out more information on The Rising, visit us at wearetherising.com.